0: Our reading tonight is from John 14, and we'll begin at verse 1 through to verse 14. That's on page 1082 of the Church Bibles. So, John 14, 1 through 14, on page 1082. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. And the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it.
1: Evening, everybody. Thank you, Amanda, for reading uh, that to us. We're going to focus on the the second half of the reading, uh, so from verses 8 to 14 um, tonight. But as we start, let me ask you a question. Uh, What do you think the biggest questions in life are? Nice, easy starter for you. What are are the biggest questions that you think people have? Maybe the biggest questions that you have uh, in life? Just just turn to your neighbor for 30 seconds. Just chat that, that question through. What are the biggest questions in life that you have? Okay, you could probably talk about this all all evening. Um, So here's um, here's, here's three of the questions that I think are maybe the biggest questions that people have in life. Um, Firstly, how can we know if there is a God? How can we know if there is a God? Secondly, how should I live my life? How should I live my life? And thirdly, will Watford win the FA Cup final against Manchester City in two weeks' time? (laughs) Those, I think those three, maybe the, maybe the third one isn't such a big one. But the first two, does God exist? And what is the meaning of life? I think that there are two questions that everyone will wrestle with at some point in their lives. And actually they're questions that I think are what Philip asked Jesus in the first verse of our passage tonight. And if you caught that in verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father... And that will be enough for us. Jesus, Philip asks, show us God, and that is all we will need for our lives. If you've been here in the past couple of weeks, then you'll know we're into the second half of John's Gospel. For the first 12 chapters, John has been showing us the the works of Jesus, the, the signs and the wonders he performed, the claims that he made about himself as the Son of God. And then from chapter 13 onwards, we get into what you call the passion narrative. Uh, and, and actually, when you get to chapter 13, John stops and he, he zooms in even further. And actually, we're just looking at a few hours, a meal between Jesus and his disciples on the night before he would die. Jesus knows he's about to leave the world to return to his father in heaven via the agony of death on the cross. So this was no farewell jolly night out in the town with his best mates. The atmosphere, as Steve said, it it was tense. It was highly charged. Judas had had left by now to betray Jesus. All of them knew that the authorities were, were after them. And of course, Jesus himself would have known fully what was to come. And in these chapters, we see Jesus' concern is that his closest friends would truly grasp who he is and what is about to happen. That that is what he begins to tell them, and it's punctuated by by terrific questions from the disciples, the third of which we, we see tonight. But actually, Jesus is also starting to look ahead even further, and he's beginning to explain to his disciples what it will look like for them to follow him once he has gone. Just, just flip back for a moment to chapter 13, um, if you've got your, your Bibles open still. Uh, chapter 13 on page 1081. Verse 15 of chapter 13. Jesus says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then skipping on over the page to verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So he's starting also to think about what it will mean for his disciples to follow him. And then in those first seven verses that Amanda just read for us, Jesus returns to that that desire to, to impress upon his closest friends exactly who he is, to give them confidence and security that they can trust him. He's told them that he is, he's returning to his heavenly father. And in verse two, he's going to prepare a place for them. And then you get these glorious and, and famous verses in verse six and seven. I am the way and the truth and the life, No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Which brings us to Philip's question in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. Now, in the context of of what Jesus has just said, and, and really everything that's gone before, that question can seem to us like a kind of infuriating question to ask. It's easy for us to kind of think, Ah Philip, what are you doing? Have you been paying attention? You might remember that, that Philip, right back in John chapter one, was, was one of the first people that Jesus called to follow him. He's he's been with Jesus from the beginning. He has seen everything. Surely by now he should have known who Jesus was. And you can kind of hear the disappointment and frustration in Jesus' response in verse nine, can't you? Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Sometimes if I'm at the house of, of someone who I consider a good friend, and they, they say, Matt, chance you your coffee. I'm just gonna put the on, put the kettle on, make, make a pot. Do you, do, you want, do you want a cup? And I think, no! I don't want a coffee. I don't like coffee. It tastes like ash. Surely you know this by now. I'll have a cup of tea, please. And if it's after dinner, then make it peppermint. <laughs> now, is that, is that what's going on here with Jesus? Is he kind of saying, Jesus, don't, Philip, don't you know me? Is he feeling sort of exasperated like we might do, kind of wounded pride? Well, of course not, is it? Jesus' concern with his reply, as it has been from day one, is that people will believe who he says he is and have absolute trust in him. Look, there's some headings on your postcard if you've got them, and we're getting to our first heading there. Look, believing in Jesus' name, that's, that's the first and really most important thing that, that we want to look at tonight. Let me read on from the middle of verse, chapter, verse 10. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father who, living in me, who is doing his work. So if the question that Philip is asking that, that is, what, is can we know God, then Jesus states again very clearly that if you know him, then you do know God. You might not know that, that Jesus talks of God as his father more than a 100 times in John's Gospel. And about a fifth of those are in this chapter alone. But I wonder if, if, a bit like Philip, we, we struggle to grasp that, um, what that means, because if we want to get to know somebody, then getting to know their son is not the same thing, is it? So if you wanted to know my dad, for example, then I'm not that much good to you, actually. We might be in the same family, we might look a bit similar, might have some characteristics the same, but, but actually we're very different people. To know me doesn't mean you know my father. And if one of you were to suddenly fall ill, hopefully that won't happen, and we were to put the shout out, is there a doctor in the house? And someone puts their hand up and says, well, I'm not, but my dad is. Well, they're no good to you, are they? The knowledge that they have is not the same as their father's. Or say for some reason you needed someone with the authority of a king, then the prince is no good to you. They might have some power, but not the same as their father. So perhaps, like Philip, we struggle to understand how Jesus, how to know Jesus is to know God the Father. And in a similar way, when we're thinking about the question of whether we can know God, we're thinking of an almighty, unseen being who, who made the universe. A God who has the, the whole of history in his sight, who has the power and the compassion to act in the details of people's lives, and a God who gives hope beyond the grave. So to then think that we can see all of that in one man—someone who, who is just like us in our humanity, who, who walked and talked, ate and drank, went to bed at night, got up and got dressed in the morning—that's hard to grasp, isn't it? It certainly was for Philip, and maybe it is for us too. But we need to understand that that isn't what we have with Jesus. Because though he is like us in his humanity, he is also like God the Father in his divinity. To know Jesus is to know God, the almighty, all-powerful, all-loving creator of eternity. Just have a look at verse 11 again. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He says to Philip, if you're still not convinced by what I'm saying, then look at everything I've done and said, and, and know that I did these things because God the Father and I are one. If you want to know the God who has power over his creation, then remember when I turned water into wine, when I fed 5,100 people from a handful of food, and when I walked across the water to you, remember that. If you want to know the God who, who has the love and the means to, to act in the details of people's broken lives, then remember when I healed the Romans' official son and the man who was born blind and the lame man who couldn't walk by the, by the pool and I got to walk again. And if you want to know an all-powerful God who has knowledge and authority even over our deaths, then remember, remember when I raised Lazarus to life and wait and see what I'm about to do. You see that Jesus, he wants us to be utterly sure that he and God the Father are one. To see Jesus is to see God. To know Jesus is to know God. That's the first thing that these verses impress upon us tonight. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He goes on, as he has been doing, across this meal of explaining more of what it will mean for those who do believe in him. Have a look at verse 12 again as we get to our second point, living in Jesus' name. If Jesus had just answered that first great question that we're thinking of, how can we know God? Then he now goes on to answer that second question, how should I live my life? Let me read verse 12 again. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So what does Jesus mean here? That whoever believes in him will do the works that he has been doing. And that actually that they will do even greater things than these. Now you remember that Jesus has just been reminding Philip of of the works he's been doing, that the miracles that he's been performing... So is it the case that the believers will, will do the same things? Well, I guess it's true, if you read the book of Acts, that disciples and apostles were, were later able to do some amazing things. They were able to heal the sick, cast out demons, even raise dead people to life. And so maybe the greater things that Jesus is talking about means those, and, and more of them, more disciples, more miracles, can see the logic in that maybe that's what Jesus is talking about well I don't think that, that can be the case though can it because Jesus here is saying whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and I guess we know from the rest of scripture and from 2,000 years of history that that just isn't the case is it it isn't the case that every single believer can do miraculous signs such as that so I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here But I think the key here is is to start to think about what Jesus' works were for. If we do that, then I think we can start to understand what he means. If you remember that Jesus has said again and again that the works he has done were to help people believe that he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, and so that people would put their trust in him. So Jesus did his work so that people would believe in him and to glorify God. So it follows from that then, that those who believe in Jesus will go and do the same. I think Jesus is saying that his, his disciples, the people that believe in him, will go on to live lives that witness to Jesus being the savior of the world. And it fits with what he said previously in chapter 13. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So if you're someone here tonight who believes in Jesus, then to do the work that Jesus did is to strive to glorify God by obeying his commands and pointing people to Jesus as the savior of the world. So if that is the work, what then is the greater works that Jesus was talking about? Well, I think there it's to do with the message that the works convey let me say that again. I think the greater works here is referring to greater, a greater message that the works convey. I think the clue there is in the end of verse 12 where Jesus says, because I am going to the Father. Because I'm going to the Father. So when is it that Jesus is going to the Father? Well, it's, it's after he's been raised to life from the dead. So there's something about the resurrection that means the works or the message that believers have now is better than the one before. Let me give you a, a silly, trivial illustration just try and get this across. right? So, I don't know if you're a fan of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as it's called, um, or the Avengers movies. Look, I'm, not, I'm not a super geeky fan, but I, and I've enjoyed the Avengers movies. I've seen quite a few of the other ones. Um, but from the films that I've seen, and from the trailer for the latest one, Avengers Endgame, still out at the Cinemas, I knew that I wanted to see this last one. I knew that I wanted to see it because from everything I'd seen before and from the trailer for this one, I thought, this is going to be great. I want to go and see this. Now, I have seen it. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that it is phenomenal. Okay, you should go and see it. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll um, eat lots of popcorn, you'll cheer. Everything, go and see it. But now, I'm able to tell you everything about it. I won't, but I could tell you everything about it this film in full and how all the 21 films that have gone before are fulfilled in this film now it's a silly example but the message of salvation that that jesus preached and indeed everyone who went before jesus it was not as good as the message that we have now since the resurrection because it was just a shadow it was an anticipation of what was to come The cross had not yet happened. The promise of forgiveness from sins that had been preached for thousands of years, it was yet to find its fulfillment. And that path that Jesus was laying, that that way from earth back to his heavenly home that, that made it possible for believers to follow after him, well, he hadn't done it yet. But since the resurrection and since his ascension back to his father, that has changed absolutely everything. That is a greater message, because what believers can testify to now is not the trailer of a movie yet to come out, but to a film that we 've seen and know how it ends, because we now know the the finished work of Jesus, the works that he 's been talking about, they find their completion in the cross and in the resurrection a few years ago. Um, Richard Dawkins and John Lennox uh, had a debate, both respected scientists, uh, one obviously a a pretty militant atheist, one a follower of Christ, and they they debated the existence of God. And at the end of an hour and a half of back and forth, John Lennox concluded by speaking of the proof that the resurrection of Jesus gives us of God's existence. And Dawkins Responded, you may not be surprised, with absolute disgust. He said this of the resurrection. He said it's so petty. It's so trivial. It's so local. It's so earthbound. It's so unworthy of the universe. He's wrong, isn't he? Do we see that Dawkins is utterly wrong? The resurrection of Jesus is the event and because of it we have the greatest ultimate the only message of salvation to share with people that Jesus is the way and the life and the truth that is the greater works and not only is the message greater but how that message is going to go out is greater too See, Jesus, in his his perfect oneness with God, he lived his earthly life to to glorify his Father completely. But now what Jesus is saying is that all who believe in him will be able to do the same thing. So that means uh, sinful, messed up, broken people like us will be able to point people to God and seek to live lives that honor him. Because Jesus has gone to the Father, he is able to send the Holy Spirit to dwell within his people. We'll hear more about the Holy Spirit next week. And it means that there is the potential now for the gospel to go out, to go out across all nations throughout history. The potential for the message now is even greater than it was before. So look, those are big things. And let me ask, have you, have you got those things? Have you grasped the magnitude and the privilege of the work that we have to do if we're followers of Jesus, you remember those those two big questions that we were thinking about at the start. In the whole of human history, people have been searching to know God, and they've been desperate to know what life is all about. Well, look, if we know Jesus tonight, then we have the answer to those questions. We have it. So, how is that going to affect us day to day then? Well, it's got to mean re- reorientating our lives, is not it? So, that, that what we're doing and with our thoughts and words and actions, they're not done for our sake, but for God's and to make Jesus known. So, how's it going? How are we doing with that? In, in the depths of our hearts, in the privacy of our own homes, in the muddle of our thoughts and words, are we striving to obey God's commands and honour Him? Or, or what about in the points that we interact with other people? So, maybe in the classroom or in your office, at the school gate, at home? What about the way that we live, the way that we speak to other people? Do the things that we do for others reflect how Jesus has loved us and so point people towards him? I've got a relative who, she definitely wouldn't call herself a Christian, but on many occasions she has spoken with great delight and respect and admiration for the Christians that she knows in her community. Because she, she, the people she sees around her, caring for the elderly, looking out for the homeless and the poor and the needy, well, they're the people who follow Jesus. That's her impression of, of God's people. Is that what That's what they're like. Now, look, there are lots of ways of demonstrating our faith, but, but it is worth pausing, I think, to just think about how did Jesus live his life? Because he spent his time with the outcasts of society. He brought healing to the sick. He He denied his own comfort for the sake of others. How much are we seeking to work like that? How much of that is on our radar? So look, if verse 12 reorientates how we live our lives, then verses 13 and 14 should reorientate how we pray. Just look down at them again with me. Verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, And I will do it. Look, I'm I'm not going to be able to do justice to those verses tonight. They come up again, so we're going to think about them in weeks to come. Um, But look, these are potentially confusing, so let's try and understand what they mean. You often hear people praying, uh, at the end of prayers, you hear people kind of go, in Jesus' name, amen. That's how people often end end their prayers. Is that what it means to, to pray in Jesus' name, that... If we say that at the end of our prayers, then Jesus will, will do whatever we said. You know, is it kind of like saying abracadabra at the end of a spell and, and God will magic the answer for us? Well, clearly that can't be the case. But remember what Jesus has, his concern has been all the way through. He has been seeking to glorify God the Father. And it's there in verse 13 as well. Ask do whatever, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And that is what I think will help us to understand what it means to ask anything we want in Jesus' name. Because another common way that people end prayers is by saying, for Jesus' sake, amen. If you have you ever heard that? Maybe you said that. And actually, I think that's quite helpful for us here to understand what he means. That whatever we ask, we're to do for his sake and not our own. So what would it mean for us to do that, to pray in Jesus' name? It doesn't mean it's wrong to pray things for ourselves, but if you're like me at all, then then honestly that can be the extent of my prayers sometimes. My, my well-being, my, my health, whatever is on for the day and, and so on. That's the focus of my prayers. Praying in Jesus' name is to pray for things that would bring him glory and make the Father known instead. What might that look like? Well, Amanda helpfully used the Lord's Prayer earlier. It's a great place to start. But look, here's three very quick things, things that it might mean for how we pray. Firstly, let's be praying that sin wouldn't reign in our lives, that those sins that we're aware of, that God would help us to put them to death because they don't glorify him. Let's be praying for God to act in the brokenness of the world. You don't have to go very far. You just have to look on your phones or the TV To see that so much of this world is is opposed to God. So much around us does not bring him glory. The injustice, the oppression, the violence, the hatred, the abuse, and so on and so on. Maybe we should be praying more about those things. And thirdly, let's be praying for people to come to know salvation in Christ. To know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So how often are you doing those things? How often are you paying praying for people to be saved, how persistently are you praying that God would help you put sin to death? How often are you praying for boldness to witness to people with your words and deeds? We've got a, a brilliant and dramatic example of, of Jesus answering prayers like this in, in the book of Acts, when Peter and John have just been released from prison and all, all the disciples were facing great persecution from the authorities. and the believers gathered together And they prayed like this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, we might not expect dramatic answers like that, but that is an example of what it means for God's people to pray in Jesus' name for his sake. So let's be striving to do that if we know Jesus. So can we know God? What is the meaning of life? Let in Jesus, I hope we've seen tonight that we have the answer to both of those questions. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. To know Jesus is to know God. And for all of us who follow him, then the meaning of our lives is to bring glory to God in our works and our deeds. Won't well, I pray for us since we finish? finished. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are one with the Father, that to see you, we can know all that we need to know, to know God, to know salvation, and to know how to live. Lord, we need your help, so we pray that you would strengthen us by your Spirit in the week ahead, to live works for your glory and to pray things that would honor you in our lives and in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.